Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. It's a great pleasure to be joined by the Bankson's. That's Sean and Abigail Bankson. They are folk rock musicians. They're here to talk about their cast album of the stage musical 100 Days. They're also married. We have them both on the line. Thank you so much for making the time to do this. Oh, man, we're so honored. Nice to talk to you, man. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. It's not every day that I get to have a married couple on here. It's great to have you on. (laughs) I'm curious, did you all start working creatively together first, or were you married first? How did that happen? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, it pretty much uh, happened in the exact same moment. We uh, uh, we met playing in this other in this other band, and uh, uh, we knew each other for a a tiny amount of time, but had never been alone in a room together. Um, And then finally, I was getting ready to start my own band. And I asked Abigail if she would be in it with me. And at the uh, the first rehearsal, the rest of the uh, band members went home and Abigail stayed. And then uh, three weeks later, we were married. Three weeks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right, man. Wow. When you know, you know. So it was mutual. You both knew. I don't, not only want to work with this person, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't mind being married to them either. <laughs> yeah, no, we uh it was it was uh it was kind of a terrifying feeling really. Like I uh, I I knew really quickly that she was my person and that's that's really not how I thought thought the whole world worked. You know, I didn't think I didn't think that was really a, an option that you could you could know that fast and uh and it was terrifying cuz I feel like there was this those those few weeks, like we didn't. It was like trying to figure out if uh, the other felt the same way, and um, and I think it was also something about falling in love that sort of made us both realize our our own mortality. You know, something about like placing so much so much uh, love and feeling into into this uh, other person kind of made us realize how fragile this whole this whole operation is and then Abigail had had some uh, things happen in her past too that uh, started all kind of bubbling up during this moment. And, uh, um, and it was a, it was a fraught, beautiful time. So it was actually, I think at the, at the end there, when we, when we just got decided to get hitched, uh, it was just a tremendous relief. It felt like, okay, now we can, uh, you know, now we can actually like, calm down and start living life together, (laughs) you know? Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And that's really, that's really what a hundred days is about. It's looking at those, those three weeks and, uh, uh, you know, all the, all the love and the terror of that, of that moment. Well, tell me about the experience of writing this hundred days. How how did it come together? Well, it was a long, process you know uh really sean and i yeah we started writing music together right away and you know we fell in love so quickly and 
this um, sort of terror that Sean is describing, um, you know, I was really deeply convinced at the time, and I, I know this sounds cuckoo, but I really thought that anyone that I loved would die <laughs> quickly. I I had just come out of some sort of family trauma. I have a beautiful family, but it had fallen apart pretty spectacularly. So I just, I really had, you know, I had some issues with PTSD and I think falling in love with Sean, I, I was really afraid that to trust that and to love someone that deeply. And so we, um, we started music about exactly those feelings and that's how hundred days started to get written. It was a way for us to communicate about the love and the mania and the excitement and also the fear and the grief. It was a way for us to sort of process all of that together and also to sort of create from a spiritual place about things that were keeping us from living as fully as we wanted to. And at first we, you know, the first draft of hundred days, the show was very, really is very different than what we have now. You know, we've written versions of this show over about, I mean, nearly 10 years, you know, so it's really evolved and changed, but every time it changed, it just got closer to sort of the truth of our actual experience, which at first we really didn't want to do. We thought it sounded kind of indulgent and selfish to like write about our actual lives. But since then it's really become, you know, it's become clear that when we weren't doing that, when we were sort of putting veils between us and the audience, it actually did a disservice to the music and to what we were trying to do. So over the years, it's become just more and more of a true story, emotionally true story. Something that I noticed listening to the recording, sometimes when you get a cast recording, you listen to some of the songs and you just think, yeah, I mean, I guess I can appreciate the talent here, but I don't really understand the context without seeing the show. And I didn't feel that way with this. The songs stood up on their own. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, I enjoyed listening very much. My pleasure. Was it something, when you were writing the songs, was it, we want to make this... Like I guess what I'm asking is, how did you make songs that stood on their own so well, but also would incorporate into a show? Oh, man. That, I mean, what you just said, my friend, (laughs) that is a huge part of our mission as composers for theater. We really focus first on trying to make music that sort of has its own, I don't know, its own spine, you know, so it can sort of function as music that has, that is pleasurable or has depth outside of any particular context. We hope that's the dream. And then it's a a really interesting, complicated process of sort of upholding the, I don't know, like the individuality of each song and working with our collaborators to make sure that they are also telling the story the way we want them to. I mean, do you agree with that, Sean? Yeah, I I feel like that's part of why the show has taken us so long to develop is uh, uh, we really did want all the music in it to uh, to stand on its own as well. And so because of that, like the, what the songs do is a little less 
straightforward than what than the function of of music in a lot of musical theater. Um, you know, and so it was a little bit this combination of uh, writing for specific moments, but also sort of retrofitting the story because there would be a piece of music that felt very important and it would take us a little while to figure out like what was the uh, the narrative context that best served that song. I feel like that's also a little bit uh, our, our, uh, our desire to have the music stand like that is also what led to a lot of our our choices in terms of the, uh, the structure and the frame of the piece, you know, like, uh, it really, it, the show, uh, especially when it starts out, starts out very much as a concert and there's, you know, there's just the six of us on stage and we're telling stories and we're singing songs. And, uh, we found that this was, the the context that helped the audience to, you know, to best, best hear what we were trying to do. And I do find, like, particularly with music in theater, so much of what makes it work or not work is the uh, is the frame that you set up, you know, helping people to know how to listen to what you're trying to do. And it uh, and it took a long time to figure out what the uh, what the exact right thing was for this, you know. And not that we've nailed it perfectly, but I, I do feel I do feel pleased with what we landed at, and what we landed at allowed us to do you know, the kind of music that we were really hoping to make. I'm curious with you all being folk rock musicians and doing this musical, who would you say your musical influences are? Oh man, we, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, we, uh, uh, we love all sorts. You know, we grew up, um, our parents raised us listening to, you know, like the old, like sixties folkies, you know, like, uh, Paul Simon and James Taylor and uh, right. Joni Mitchell Odetta, and all of those. <laughs> and so, uh, and also just to a lot of, a lot of folk music and kind of world music from all over the place. So that's very much like, you know, like that's our kind of where we started from. And, and as we grew, we got, uh, uh, we both also grew up loving theater you know, and like uh, you know, some of the classic, like uh, you know, like Sondheim shows and and all of that. And then what we discovered as we were making music is that at first uh, we sort of had these two tracks. You know, like we we had our songs that we wrote for our band, and then we had our songs that we wrote for our shows, and those two things just sort of merged over time. Um, and the the people that that we found to be big inspirations in terms of that sort of combo you know it's like the show uh hedwig you know is uh i think is a really great example of that of a concert and uh and a musical um we love the work of uh Stu and the negro problem he made uh passing strange and uh we also we also really love um music that you know isn't from theater but does have a strong narrative storytelling element you know, like a lot of like Sufjan Stevens music, I think uh, tells really beautiful stories and uh, and he'll often make albums that are organized around, you know, like one uh, one larger idea. Like his uh, his recent album is all about songs about his his mother and his stepfather who had just passed away. So and all of that's been a really big influence to us. And I miss anything, Abigail? I think that's great, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love all those people. You mentioned uh, a lot of people there, but you also mentioned Stephen Sondheim 
and that brought my mind to one of the reviews that I read. You guys got a lot of really, really great reviews. One of them, the New York Times, they said, The Bangsons offer luminous hope that a new generation of talent in American theater is taking up Stephen Sondheim's mantle of exquisite ambivalence. <laughs> That's uh, a good that really one, meant man. a lot to me that they they said that. That was really nice. That was amazing. <laughs> there were so many of these great reviews. Was there a review, or I don't know, uh, just a comment maybe from somebody that was was the most meaningful to you? Oh my! I mean, you know the the review thing is a complicated thing <laughs> because I feel like. You know, we're in one of the few professions where, like, your job review is a totally public event, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You, um, and, you know, I feel like us and a lot of our friends and peers who are also, you know, in this work, you're always kind of navigating, do you read them? Do you not read them? If you don't read them, then often everyone else you know has read them anyway, so they look at you with, with pride or with pity <laughs> at the <laughs> opening night party, you know, depending. And it's really, I feel like the real task is to try to like keep an even keel and not be seduced and not be reduced by anybody's opinion. That said, man, when it's good, it sure, it's like a drug. It feels so good when, when your work gets recognized. And a quote like that, I mean, I think the most amazing thing is for me, when someone comes to the show, a a critic or a friend or a family member or just a a person who's interested and feels like they connected to it in a personal way, like it moved them or it inspired them to make art or to connect with people they love or to live more fully. Like, that's what we're in it. That's our job. Our job is to make complex pieces of work that inspire people to live. I feel like that's what I'm here to do and do so in a way that feels inclusive and uh, not patronizing. <laughs> you know? and those, are, those, are, those are really hard things to do. And so, of course, when someone says that we've achieved even one part of that, it feels amazing. And that song, yeah. quote, you know, you know, I called my mom. I totally called my mom on that <laughs> <laughs> and celebrated that really. That's of like my, a little girl dream for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's been a few times that uh, people after seeing the show have have written to us and uh, shared their own experiences. There's a there's a woman who wrote us this really lovely letter, like actually like snail mail letter about that the the feelings of of uh, battling fear in love uh, reminded her of her experience with her now husband who is uh, a Muslim and was trying to, was trying to get his uh, get, uh, legalize his immigration status, like right in the aftermath of September 11th. And just that her, her experience of living through the, the fear of that, of placing all of her love in this person while not knowing, you know, whether he would he would be kicked out of the country tomorrow uh, was really just really moved me a lot and and there's been a um, a few people too who have you know this we blessedly don't end up having to uh, go through the the trauma of one of us 
getting the terrible diagnosis or we haven't yet. Uh, but people who have, who have lived through that and their, their partners are either living or have passed have, have, uh, shared their stories with us after seeing the show. And it's, it's very humble to hear them. On the note of what you were just saying, the person who saw the show and wrote you a letter. Yeah. When somebody listens to this cast recording or when they see the show, what is it that in an ideal world that they get from that experience? Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, who knows? I mean, I do feel like to a certain extent we have to make a thing and then we have to let it go and what people get is what they get. But what I'm always hoping, I hope that people feel at first really, truly welcomed. I think Sean and I always before a show sort of think about just the idea that everyone, no matter where they are in their lives is, is fighting a hard battle, you know, that we kind of assume that, you know, you're, you're coming into this space and you're carrying a woundedness with you. You also want to have a good time. You maybe you're on a date, but that there's some part of you that's sort of hungry. And I feel like our job is to try to make you feel welcome in your whole self. If, if such a thing can be done by a stranger, then I feel like we hope that people feel seen in the hardship and inspired to know that, you know, we're all in it together and, um, you know, that there is a possibility of hope. That's my dream. It's like, it's, uh, you know, sometimes we achieve it and sometimes we don't, I'm sure, but that's our intention. We try to always keep really clear. Yeah, that's right. I feel like we're living, we're living through frightening times and in a, in a way, you know, that's always been the case with humanity, but I do feel like it's a moment where we are uh, really buffeted with a lot of tales of woe, you know, and, uh, and outlook is sometimes not looking so so great, but I and so I feel like really like what we're trying to do with the with the show is try to provide evidence that that even even with the the fear of of, of our times and our lives that don't let it don't let it keep you from from loving, you know. <laughs> That's right. Anyone out there, if they want more information. It's bangsons.com, B-E-N-G-S-O-N-S. Also, 100days.org. The release is available on Ghostlight Records, ghostlightrecords.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything you would like to say in closing to our audience? Oh, my goodness. It's a, it was a pleasure to get to talk to you, and I hope, you listen to the music and I hope you find us in Tampa or Miami and in the East River dates and come say hi if you do. Yes, thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, folks, until next time. Okay, bye. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. If you enjoy these interviews, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. You can help us by listening on the free Radio Public app. The show can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or Overcast. For more information, visit thepaulleslie.com or follow on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all at the Paul Leslie. The Paul Leslie Hour theme song is performed and composed by Jeff Pike. 
Outro music is performed and composed by John Goodwin. See you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.